Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up for Veterans Day, the best cities after service. A new list of places that are the most accommodating for military members transitioning back to civilian life. Also this morning, behind every service member is a military family. It's not the t- it's not the same kind of service, of course, but it's still a sacrifice that deserves acknowledgement and recognition. In our high school football preview this week, Macomb Panthers head coach Chris Algy reflects on last week's victory over Pandora Gilboa and looks to this week's regional semifinal showdown with Lima Central Catholic. And we have another collection of tasty recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, November 11th, 2022. So in addition to Veterans Day, which is the big commemoration today, it is also Air Day, it says here, which commemorates the start of commercial air service between the Hawaiian Islands in 1929. Hmm. Uh, National Metal Day, National Sunday Day, National Origami Day, it is National Singles Day today. I'm assuming because they singles because it's one 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 eleven eleven one 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 singles day today. And uh, also, in addition to Veterans Day, which grew out of Armistice Day, honoring the end of World War One, today is Death Duty Day. Death slash duty day, which honors those who lost their lives fighting in World War II on its last day in those final hours before the armistice uh, armistice was signed or armistice took effect. So uh, kind of interesting there as well. So reasons to uh, celebrate honorings, uh, commemorations uh, that we mark on the 11th of uh, November. So. Earlier this week, uh, there was a bit of a delay, but we got the Powerball numbers. They were a little anticlimactic. That $2 billion Powerball jackpot went to one person, and we still don't know who it is. They haven't come forward yet, uh, right? That's At last last I heard, there, there was no... We know it was sold in California, but we don't know... Uh, we know where it was sold in California, but we don't know who bought the ticket. But here's the thing. So it wasn't you, it wasn't me, it wasn't anyone that any of us knows, most likely. Um, Don't worry, because money can't buy you happiness. You've heard that how many times over the years? And it really is true. Research out of the University of British Columbia uh, took $2 million given by wealthy donors and broke that into $10,000 chunks and then distributed that to 200 recipients in seven different countries. So this was a global experiment to see if money really could buy happiness. And what's the old joke? Money can't buy happiness, but it can rent it for a while? (laughs) Well, maybe that's kind of what they... Well, they found the only caveat they did, they gave $10,000 to these random people, 200 random people in seven countries. The only caveat was that they had to spend it, not save it. They had to spend it. And according to the study, by comparing those who received the cash to those in a control group that did not receive the money, uh, 
the experiment provides some evidence that the cash did substantially increase happiness across a very diverse global sample. Long story short, the infusion of cash did make them happy. Well, what a surprise. You give me $10,000, you make me very happy. Um, and the those who were poorer to begin with, um, the happier they were. The poorer they were to start with, the happier they were about getting this influx of cash. Again, probably not a surprise. Uh, they said those in lower income countries gained three times more happiness than those in higher income uh, countries who got the dough. Um, but you didn't have to be poor to enjoy the free money. People at all income levels, up to six figures, had detectable benefits of receiving the money. Uh, and since most of us don't make that much money, there were a lot of smiling faces out there. And this was the uh, kind of interesting thing. The levels of happiness remained higher among these people who received the cash several months afterwards as compared to the folks who didn't get the cash. So it had a lingering effect. Will it and money buy happiness? There is some evidence that perhaps it can. If you can't be rich... At least you should be beautiful. Um, researchers at Lund University have found that attractive people, pretty people, may have more advantages than what we realize. Researchers found that female engineering students that were rated as most attractive by participants in this study had a significant decline in their average college grades after COVID hit and they could no longer attend classes in person. Mmm. It suggests that those who were attractive were leveraging that attractiveness to improve their grades. And when you didn't have class in person, attractiveness or physical appearance became less of a factor and their college grades dropped. Mmm. -hmm. The lead researcher in the study says the finding is not surprising because attractive people are known to have higher salaries and other benefits in the workforce as well. Of course, not everything is good that goes along with, uh, with being attractive. Uh, this, I thought, was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, new findings, new published findings, researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, find that the those who are most likely to flirt with coworkers or potentially flirt is putting it mildly potentially harass their coworkers new research on this behavior in the work workplace points to men in low power positions it's not the big boss the ceo who's uh, harassing or quote unquote flirting with the uh, females in the office it's low to middle management men men in high-ranking positions and women um harassing men less likely uh to be guilty of this uh, again according to the university of california berkeley uh let's see here 
they challenge the notion that women are the ones who use sexual appeal to get ahead at work. Insti- instead, deliberately sexual behavior and potentially unwanted innuendo comes from men who are insecure about their role at work. Men in such low-power positions are more likely to use unwanted social behavior and describe themselves as charming flirts in their place of work. Others might disagree with that assessment. The uh, study finds men in lower roles are more likely to rationalize their behavior as they seek to portray a more powerful image. Hmm. So, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. By the way, I thought this, speaking of uh, workplace issues, I thought this and, and the social interactions between uh, people in the workplace, I thought this was uh, really interesting. A woman on TikTok recently shared a story that she resigned from her job after she was given an ultimatum by her boss to socialize more. Um, responding to a post from a job recruiter who said nothing will make you more hated in a corporate environment than avoiding small talk. Now, I don't know the uh, name of the woman here. Um, her handle is at Moody Nomad 333. She said she had been working in the marketing department of an architecture firm. In addition to not liking small talk, she said her coworkers were all friends from school or previous jobs, and she felt like an outsider. Uh, she said her coworkers would regularly hang out together, but she had a life outside of work and would skip the happy hour. Um And she said, it's the reason the bosses gave me an ultimatum saying if I didn't put more effort into socializing and being a team player, I was going to get fired. Uh, She says, I was there for eight hours a day. Why would I want to spend two or three more hours drinking with people that I wasn't even friends with? It uh, also, I despise small talk. It makes me physically uncomfortable. And uh, one of the respondents uh, commiserated with her about uh, her uh, situation saying, Hey, you're paid to do a job. Start socializing when they pay you to socialize. That's kind of interesting. On the other hand, I certainly can understand, uh, where she's coming, whether you agree or not, you can understand they have a point, but this is also kind of interesting. A story in the New York post, uh, related to that, that I saw, with it says with millions of workers reporting uh, returning to their cubicles after working from home returning to the office so too is returning the tradition of grabbing a drink with colleagues after work however uh, according to this uh, story in the post younger employees in particular are pushing back they uh, talked with a handful of workers in that younger demographic and uh, found that younger employees were more hesitant to bend the elbow with their co-workers uh, at happy hour after work. One 27-year-old asset manager, Michael Nikosha, said, I enjoy my private life and enjoy not hanging out with co-workers when I'm trying to relax and not think about work. Now, what the point of the article was, however is that there is a caveat. So if you are thinking, yeah, I, I get that. I fully understand. I don't like to socialize with... There is a caveat to this. Life and career coach Allison Tack in the post story says these kinds of uh, hangouts are key for professional networking, which is often, in turn, the key to upward career mobility. Because you... Network with other people, and when 
people move on to other jobs. They remember you and may uh, come back and offer you a position, a higher position with another firm as they grow. Networking is a big is a big deal. And uh, unless networking becomes less of a big deal, I mean, unless that changes, you might want to at least occasionally make the effort. So something to think about there, especially, you know, on a Friday, maybe get invited to an after work soiree. You might want to think twice before turning that down. Kind of interesting stuff there. Uh, The most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers are expected off and on today with a high of 60, mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 35. The Finley Planning and Zoning Committee voted to deny a request to rezone a property that would be part of a proposed McDonald's on the south side of town. Neighborhood resident Lee Wygant was happy with the committee's decision. They're doing the right thing to prevent uh, you know, un- unbridled growth in the south end. We want the proper kind of development in South Finley, not uh, not to turn it into a, a Tiffin Avenue or, or Trenton Avenue type of uh, commercial activity in that area. The Planning and Zoning Committee's recommendation now goes on to full Finley City Council, which will make the final decision. Get more on the website. Children's Mentoring Connection of Hancock County has moved to a new location in Finley. They're now located in the Family Center at 1800 North Blanchard Street. This move will allow us to serve our clients, mentors, and mentees while continuing to provide quality programming. In addition, our new location will encourage continued collaborations with agencies serving many of our clients. Executive Director Stacy Shaw is advising people to stay tuned for the announcement of grand opening festivities at their new location. Get more on the website. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says it's seen more teenagers practice unsafe driving habits, resulting in more crashes. There have been 91 deadly teen-related crashes in the state, and so far, nine of those deaths have been in Northwest Ohio. Troopers say it's important for parents to have conversations with their kids, talking about what a huge responsibility driving safety is. So making good choices, you know, buckling up. Not using that cell phone and eliminating the distraction, uh, not driving impaired. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. Get more on the website. In addition to the Veterans Day Parade in Finley on Sunday, the Hancock Historical Museum will be hosting a reception to honor local veterans. At the reception on Sunday afternoon, local veteran and president of Flag City Honor Flight, Bob Weinberg, will speak about his service as a sentinel at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And there will also be special artifacts on display, including uniforms from each branch of the armed services. Get more details on the website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So all this week, we're highlighting stories about and for veterans. One of the things service members have when they separate from the military is the unique opportunity of a clean slate. Many will go back to their hometowns to begin civilian life, but others will take advantage of the opportunity to start completely fresh. Navy Federal Credit Union, in partnership with The Mission Continues, are out with an expanded version of their Best Cities After Service list for 2022. And joining us are Marine Corps veteran and president of The Mission Continues, Mary Beth Brueggemann, and Clay Stackhouse, also a Marine Corps veteran and finance expert at Navy Federal. And thanks to both of you this morning, and thank you for your service. So, 
Clay, first of all, let me start with you. This includes a number of subcategories like best cities for military families and best cities for retired veterans, best cities for veterans to buy a house. Which cities topped your list for 2022 and how were they chosen? Yeah, thanks for having us, Chris. Uh, So we've been doing this list since 2018, and I have been uh, lucky enough to be the spokesman uh, for each one. What we do is we partner with nonprofits each time. This time uh, with uh, the mission continues, as you said, you know, people who are, we're just, we're passionate about serving veterans. So we, uh, we got with Sperling's Best Cities. Uh, we interviewed over a thousand uh, veterans and their families. We considered over 400 cities. And we just said, hey, look, what are you concerned about as you make the transition? And you're right. Uh, a lot of them want to make a fresh start, but they're concerned when they go to a new city, uh, what's going to be there for them? Is there, are there going to be hospitals? Are they going to get health care? So this is the first year we did the uh, the three or the four categories, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just highlights, you know, over two hundred fifty thousand people a year make this transition. You know, you think about thirteen hundred families a day are going through this, and uh, what we're trying to tell them is, uh, we know it's an individual journey to make this transition. Both Mary Beth and I made it. Uh, honestly, it was kind of difficult to tell you the truth. I was in the Marines twenty five years. Wow. Uh, and and so we went with overall best. Uh, city was Charleston. Best for military families with children was Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, best for retired veterans was Tampa. And best place to buy a house was Altoona, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, but the reason we broke it down, Chris, was just really to highlight the fact that uh, we're telling veterans, we know this is an individual transition, uh, and we'd like to, to make you all uh, make this as easy as possible on you. Now, uh, Mary Beth, uh, again, you are partnering with uh, Navy Federal Credit Union this year um, in, in all of this. How does this help your mission, that the mission continues to grow the movement of veteran-led service within these communities? Talk about the tie-in for you. Sure. Well, you know, we um, ultimately what we're trying to do is connect veterans with opportunities to continue their service in their own communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we create opportunities. We encourage veterans to um, to join these opportunities. We empower them to lead these opportunities, service projects in their communities. Um, we have across the country, we have what we call service platoons, which are teams of veterans and non-veterans, all led by military veterans. Um, who come together to do service projects in partnership with uh, community organizations and neighborhood organizations, specifically in under-resourced communities in so many of these cities. Uh, And that for us is an opportunity with this list and with this partnership, it's an opportunity for us to look at um, chances for us to grow and places where we might strategically want to grow and partner going forward. Uh, We want ultimately for all veterans who transition from the military to have an opportunity to continue their service, which means we want service platoons to be available to them. And where where there are cities where we don't yet have a service platoon network, um, that's an opportunity for us to grow and reach more of the millions of veterans that are out there, all of whom are looking for the new tough challenge that they can tackle and a new opportunity to lead right at home. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to make sure we underscore this. Obviously, uh, the value of uh, the veteran-led service within those communities, the value uh, of that is easy to see for the communities, but there is a tremendous value for veterans in continuing that service through volunteerism in this community. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, our we our our impact is flowing through veterans at this point. So, our organization exists to impact the veterans. Um, the veterans wake up in the morning to impact their communities, and uh, it ha- it's a really beautiful double bottom line of impact here um, for the veterans. From this, they get a renewed and restored sense of purpose, which is critical to their well being. It's critical to their happiness. It's critical to their um, their ability to thrive in these communities. And they also get, they experience connectedness with each other. They feel more deeply connected to their geographic community, to their community of veterans, and bridging this gap between veterans and non-veterans that so often exist in our country. Yeah. Um, so tremendous tremendous impact on the veteran. Now, uh, Clay, this is, as you mentioned, uh, not the first time you've done this. Uh, you actually uh, do it every two years. You update uh, this list. Um, I'm, I'm curious, are the cities on the list, and you mentioned the tops in each of these categories, there are more than just three cities on the list. It goes on down, but um, are they generally the same as they have been in previous uh lists or have you seen some evolution in that? Yeah, Chris, that's really interesting because uh, what changes is the veterans' concerns, right? So mm. in 2018, uh, concerns were different. We, we didn't have the inflation we have today. Right. Uh, we, uh, we didn't see a pandemic. Coming. I mean, there's a lot of things. I transitioned in 2015, and uh, I hate to remind you that uh, inter, uh, mortgage rates were about 2.5% then. <laughs> right. So, uh as the, as the veterans transition out, uh, each year there's going to be uh, something different. We've heard from the veterans and their families. They're really concerned with inflation. Uh, and breaking down the list, I think, not just revisiting, but breaking it down. If you're a military family with children, you're going to be worried about education, right? If you're going to uh, be a retired veteran working on that income, uh, you're going to be worried about uh, taxes. And if you're buying a house, you know, a lot of tr- uh, veterans transition very young and have not built, uh, bought a house yet, you're going to be worried about uh, property taxes mm-hmm. uh, and mortgage rates. So it's just kind of us, us reaching out uh, each year because the circumstances are different. Uh, and, you know, being people who have made this transition, uh, we knew if I transitioned today, I would be worried about different things than I was in 2015. Right. Sure. So the mission continues in Navy Federal is just trying to say, look, we understand that and we're trying to provide uh, really useful uh, list and services here to help. Now, uh, again, we mentioned the top list in uh, the top cities in each of these uh, categories on this uh, list. Where do folks uh, learn more uh, and, and get uh, all of the uh, the breakdowns of the the cities that are on the list? Right, you're right. There are a bunch of cities on the list uh, now that I have four lists. So um, <laughs> some of them are going to surprise you. So I want you to go to navyfederal.org/slash best cities. And, and if you are looking to join your local service platoon, um, you can go to missioncontinues.org and find more about these incredible veterans who are leading continued service in their own communities. We're going to make sure that we get that in as well. So again, uh, Mary Beth Brueggemann, president of The Mission Continues, and Clay Stackhouse, finance expert at Navy Federal Credit Union, both Marine Corps veterans with us this morning. We'll have the link up on our webpage as well. Thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Well, you know, it is often pointed out that others in a service member's family also sacrifice in their own way. When Vicki Cody got married 46 years ago, she also became wedded to the Army. Her journal entries about the roller coaster of stress and loneliness and sleepless nights and humor and 
the joys of it all, and eventually the resilience of that life morphed into a couple of award-winning books, Army Wife and Fly Safe, that helped share that story. Vicki, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to join us this morning. We appreciate it. By the way, I should mention, it's not just your husband anymore. That legacy of service has extended to a new generation, I understand. Yes, and thanks, Chris, for having me this morning. Uh, yes, both of our sons are, are active duty uh, Apache helicopter pilots, just like their dad. Wow. So it's, it's now second generation. And what does what is it that, uh, that people need to know and understand about the families behind their uh, soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines? Well, great question. Um, you know, after... After being an Army wife for all those years, then our sons entered the service and, and shortly after September 11th, actually, and mm-hmm. they started deploying. And that was when I first realized what it was like I, because I was now in a dual role. I was wife of and mother of because my yeah. husband was still on active duty. And I realized there was a story in that. I needed to be telling what it was like for the spouses, the moms and dads, all those people back home that stand beside their service member. And it does take a family. It takes a family to support a soldier, an airman, Marine, whatever, any service member. They can't do it on their own because it is a very tough, unforgiving, and and challenging way of life. And yet it's a life filled with with pride and and great joy but those family members boy it's like they pretty much raise their right hand as well and and, In and many serve respects. right alongside yeah yeah exactly and i think sometimes we well when i started writing about this i couldn't find any other books that were from a spouse's perspective that kind of showcased and and shed the light on the family side of it. And that's what I try to do in, in both these books to balance what my husband was doing as, mm-hmm. as he's rising up in rank and the different deployments and the jobs and whatever. But at the same time, I wanted to see, show my evolution as, you know, from young lieutenant's wife to four-star general's wife yeah. and everything in between so, and raising a family. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, to be clear, uh, when we talk about, uh, you know, military spouses and families uh, sacrificing, obviously it's not on the same level. You're not putting your life on the line, but in some respects, right. but in some respects, um, it's even more difficult in the sense that you are completely out of control of what happens to your spouse or your kids. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we're not over there on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And in, in no way do I ever say that, you know, it, t- it takes, you know, the same level of courage and bravery. But what, what I have noticed over all these decades of doing this and, and now as a mother, um, I think sometimes it's harder to be back at home, like you said, yeah. where you have no control over the situation. And actually, a little anecdote about that. When our sons were, oh gosh, they were both in Iraq together numerous times. But that first time when the war had started and, and the war was raging in Iraq and we had no word from, from our sons. And, and my husband at that point was a three or four star general at the Pentagon. He and I at night, we would be pacing back and forth in front of the TV 
And at one point, he just looked at me and he said, Vicki, I never knew this is what it was like for you. Mm. And it was like after all those years of marriage, yeah. he finally validated what it had been like for me. And it really is. It's, it's like fear and stress and, and challenges and, and learning to car- compartmentalize those fears and, and stresses so you can get through the days and nights. So, um, and, and, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty stressful, especially yeah. when it's your kids. Yeah, so how do you then turn all of that stress and the loneliness and, as we said, the sleepless nights, all of that, uh, you can take those challenges and turn it into, as you talk about in the books, uh, positive growth as a wife, as a military mom? Well, for me, early in the marriage, when I realized I was not going to have any control over my husband's comings and goings, and, mm-hmm. and not just combat-wise, but the training exercises that would take him away for months at a time, um, I, I learned... I'm one of those people, I choose to be happy, you know, if given the choice. Um, So I did whatever it took. And for me, it meant becoming independent, able to, you know, stand on my own two feet. And you have to understand, I came from small town Vermont and my husband too. We were from small towns in Vermont. We had never, nobody in my family had been in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had never been exposed to this way of life. But I think I also early on loved the adventure of it all. We were living in Hawaii when we first got married. Mm -hmm. Uh, We moved, we started moving all around. So I took that as opportunities. Each place we went, I learned things about whatever the culture was. I took advantage of any classes or courses that the Army offered to the spouses. I always volunteered. Um, when we had kids, I was involved in, in their schools and, and just community things. And for me, that became very self, self-fulfilling. Um, and I, I guess I always looked at it each time I got through one of those challenging times, maybe a long separation, a deployment. Yeah. And I came out of it stronger. Boy, to me, that was empowering. I liked that feeling rather than curling up in a ball on the couch and saying, I can't do this. I don't want to do it, you know? So for me, I took the opposite and decided to turn it into, you know, something good. Now, that being said, uh, just as different people take different experiences away from their military Mm -hmm. service, different spouses and military Mm -hmm. parents take uh, a different track in in dealing with that. And, And I guess there is no right or wrong answer necessarily, right? Right, right. You know, some people, I, I learned to rely on my faith, too, something that, that had not really come into play too mm. much in in my growing up years. I, I just, I, I never, I was never backed into a corner where I had to, like, pray really hard that, that everything would be okay, but yeah. boy, you know, being married to a service member, my yeah. faith did come into play, and, and a lot of, of spouses and families, they turn to their church community. That's what gets them through. For me, it was my fellow army wives. We got each other through it. Our kids were surrounded by other kids that were going through the same thing, and, and that got them through it. Yeah, it, there's no right or wrong. There's no easy way, because it's like 
once you're either your spouse or if it's one of your kids decides to join the military, I write about this. I say, just, you know, don't dig your heels in and say, oh, why are you doing this? I don't want you to do this. Mm-hmm. Just go with it and, yeah. and enjoy all the great moments because in spite of those challenges and the rough times, like I said, there are so many extraordinary moments that I wouldn't trade for anything. The Absolutely. people that we met, the places we lived, the yeah. pride, the pride, yeah. And the, to me, that always outweighed um, everything I was going through. And I did write a book early on that was handed out for free to everybody that wanted it. The, the Army handed it out. And it was a guidebook for parents and families of soldiers. And I tried to guide them through that and tell them, you know, how to kind of navigate yeah. and, and not give in to the negative and the fear and to try to be positive about it. So I, I have written on that subject. Yeah. Um, for Veterans Day, we often talk about uh, supporting uh, veterans and, uh, you know, those in the military. And obviously that's of paramount importance. What can uh, the rest of us do to support those who support the veterans and service members and their their families? What's the message to us about how we can support them? Well, first of all, if you if you have a loved one in the military or if you know someone that does, reach out to, to that family, reach out to those people, show them that you appreciate their their service members' sacrifice and, um, you know, get involved. Every community has support networks for military people because, you know, it's not just the active duty. It's, you know, every time we have a natural disaster, our National Guard and Reserve units, they pack up and they leave, and they leave our little hometowns and those little towns across America. Reach out to those people. If you have, you know, service members deployed from your community, get involved with any organization that's helping them, um, but just on a personal level, reach out to those that you know and and really appreciate and thank them for what they do and thank the family too. Again, Vicki Cody is an Army wife, Army mom. Her uh, books are Army Wife and Fly Safe. You have a uh, website where folks can learn more about the books, by the way? Yes, absolutely. Uh, VickiCody.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-C-O-D-Y.com. And you can read more about me. You can read excerpts from my books and how to order them. They're available anywhere. Vicki, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Week 13 of the high school football playoffs. And by now, most schools are hanging up the helmets and breaking out the basketballs. But there are still a couple of teams who are representing our area in the high school football playoffs. Macomb will meet up with Lima Central Catholic at Ottawa Glendorf this weekend. You can hear that game on our sister station, 100.5 WKXA. John Marshall on the call. And earlier this week on the Coach's Corner, John spoke with Panthers head coach Chris Algie about last week's victory over Pandora Gilboa and a look ahead to the regional semifinal showdown with LCC.
Last week was a hard-fought win against Pandora Gilboa, 26-21. That's a game that's going to leave in my mind for a long time as one of the best games I've had the opportunity to call. You have to be really proud about your team hanging in there for that win. Yeah, that was that was a tough one. I mean, first time we played him, it, it was a heck of a game, and what a battle. And this time, it, you know, third quarter when we, when we went up twenty six to seven, you know, we thought, hey, you know, we get one more score, maybe we can put this out of reach. And and uh, you know, we had a pick close to the end zone. Our kid dropped it, and, and they took advantage and go down and score an onside kick and score again. And Next thing you know, it, it was a ball game, and, and they're a really good football team, well coached, and hats off to uh, you know Pandora kids, and and uh, what a what a fighting fight game. The last time you met PG in week five of the regular season, you came out pretty banged up, losing two two way starters for the rest of the season. I'm hoping you fared better last week and aren't dealing with any significant injuries. Yeah, we had no injuries. Um, you know, kids were a little bit sore on on Saturday, but you know, with an extra day rest, and you know, we did our normal workout on Saturday, and had a lot of ice and whirlpools, and and everybody's good to go. The PG game in the past. What's in your immediate future is a meeting with Lima Central Catholic in a Division Seven regional semifinal. Coach Scott Palti and his T-Birds play an independent schedule and finish the regular season at six and four. But each of their losses was to a playoff team, one in Division 7, one in Division 4, and two in Division 5. That tells me that they have seen some really good competition, so they're going to be ready to come out fighting on Saturday night in Ottawa. Can you give us your take on the Thunderbirds? I mean, yeah, they're they're a really good, solid football team. They, Like you said, played a real tough schedule, and, and um, you know, because they're not in the league. Um, but they're, they're just solid. I mean, they're... They're not blazing fast, maybe like they were last year. They don't have the 10-9 guy or the 11-200 guy, but what they have are receivers that can run good routes and a a stud quarterback that's 6'2", 210. He can throw it 65 yards, but he's even better with his legs. Uh, They're going to run it 85% of the time, and he probably carries it about 75% of those. But, uh, you know, linemen are big. And they just they lock on and they block who they're supposed to block and they don't make mistakes. So they're just a solid all-around football team. They score a lot of points, 25 or more in nine of their 12 games. Three of their losses came when they scored 14 or fewer. So that suggests to me that this game is going to be largely about stopping that offense. What will be the key to that effort? Well, I think number one, control the, control the line of scrimmage, um, contain their quarterback from breaking them because he seems to be the one to break them. Uh, you know, the other thing is eliminate. The long pass play. I mean, because, like I said, he can wing it. He's got some receivers that that run good routes. And, uh, you know, some of their touchdowns are 40-plus, 50-plus touchdowns, especially against St. John's. You know, St. John's eliminated the run, but um, unfortunately they weren't able to stop the pass. So we got to do both. And, you know, this week we had some, you know, pass receivers out running routes and and who are fast and trying trying to give our DBs a good look. Your offense is going to be have to be serious about scoring points at every opportunity. Since midseason, you've been more about the running game. If you can eat up the clock with the rush and score points on sustained drives, that would be playing defense by playing offense, keeping their offense off the field and limiting their opportunities. Is that something you've been talking about this week? Yeah, we've been we've been trying that since uh, about three four weeks ago. You know, when we lost quarterbacks and we're you know we used Chase Woodruff under center and we, we feel. That's the old Pete Bruno, you know, Coach Banning, Dick Strom style offense, uh, you know, get four yards. 
you know, move the chains. Uh, the guys that are just playing defense get a little bit of rest. We don't have many of those, but, uh, you know, if we can sustain drives and get first downs and score and then eliminate, you know, their big play guys from getting on the field, um, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do. That is what it's all about. Thanks so much for coming out. I appreciate it. Macomb football coach Chris Algy. Hey, thanks, John. appreciate being here. And the uh, Panthers will meet up with the Lima Center Catholic Thunderbirds at Ottawa Glendorf High School this weekend. Again, you'll hear that game on our sister station, 100.5 WKXA, with uh, John Marshall, Don Masters on the call. Meanwhile, Columbus Grove head coach Andy Schaefer also dropped by the coach's corner earlier this week to preview the Bulldogs matchup with Colonel Crawford. They're very physical. They're very big. Um, they probably match us with physicality, but they're a little bit bigger than us. So um, our kids are certainly going to have to play and, and sustain drives. Um, you know, they always talk the key to winning the game is is the trenches, and uh, certainly this week on both offense and defense, that's going to be the key if, if we look to get a victory over a very good Colonel Crawford team. Um, they're probably a little bit more play-action pass than what we are, which can be very, very dangerous. You know, we really feel like we have uh, two, if not three, of the best linebackers of the state, certainly two all-Ohio linebackers, um, and they're really good at stopping the run. But uh, you know, when they get so juiced to stop the run and then you dump it over pa- over top uh, to a back out of the backfield, it can be very, very dangerous for our defense. So oddly enough, this is this is a crazy thing, is we are in week 13, and this is a first game that we've played an opponent that's gonna that's gonna spend at least uh you know more than 10 under center um you know we've we've only seen a few teams do it and that was in goal line situations um so to prepare for a team under center this week in week 13 it's it's going to be different for our defense so best of luck to both the macomb panthers and the columbus grove bulldogs week number 13 of the high school football season those regional semifinals Uh, If you can't be at the game, if you can't listen to the game, you can follow all of the action updated in real time on the WFIN scoreboard page, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College. You can check that out at WFIN.com slash scoreboard. We have it linked up at our webpage at goodmornings.net as well. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. That's our dumb criminal of the day. Comes from the great state of California, where 39-year-old Jose Barrios of Lake Elsinore was popped by police after he tried soliciting three undercover officers who had been investigating uh, prostitution uh, activity. It was a prostitution sting. And uh, Jose uh, tried to solicit the uh, officers. But here's the thing. He didn't try to solicit them as a John, uh, but as a uh, manager. He offered he offered them his uh, management services. <laughs> Police officers posed as ladies of the evening and managed to arrest 15 people who fell for their soliciting scheme. Then this guy decided he wanted to be lucky number 16. He rolled up and tried enlisting them to uh, join his team. Mr. Barrios 
according to the police report, approached the officers and told them he would teach them how to make some real money. <laughs> officers at first tried to brush him off and move moved away because they weren't looking to make that kind of arrest. They were just looking for John's. But uh, he began aggressively pursuing the ladies in his car and even drove into oncoming traffic as he was shouting at them. Uh, police then descended on him as soon as he drove into a nearby parking lot. The man was charged with pimping, driving on the wrong side of the road, and possessing uh, possession of a concealed weapon. Uh, by the way, it should be noted that Mr. Berrios is not a first-time offender, he was previously charged with trying to pimp and pander. Is it due back in court later this month? That is not his lucky day, apparently. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news, I don't know whether you could call this smuggling or not. A woman from Australia recently shared the story that she was stopped at airport security with her boyfriend's ashes concealed in an adult toy. <laughs> That's not where you normally uh, keep the ashes of a lost loved one. In an adult toy. 23-year-old Sarah Button says uh, the toy was actually a gift from her late boyfriend. Uh, she was carrying it in a bag while going through security at the United Arab Emirates. And apparently that caused some uh, issues with security staff. She says of the uh, <clears throat> item, uh, the whole thing was initially a joke. Um, and she actually received it as a gift from him. He arranged for it to be delivered after he passed away. Honestly, she says, it is the funniest thing he's ever done. I'll spend my whole life laughing about it, which really beats crying. So, yes, there is that. She says she has taken her former partner's ashes on big adventures all around the globe ever since. This is the first time she, she's had a problem. <laughs> all right. A Memphis man is facing charges after allegedly kidnapping a woman over a lottery ticket. How crazy is this? Police say Dontrell Haynes kidnapped his ex-girlfriend from the home they used to share in uh, Cordova, Tennessee, after getting angry that she would not give him a lottery ticket that he says he paid for. The victim told police that uh, Mr. Haynes broke into the home, uh, then grabbed her, threw her into his car, and drove off. Officials say Mr. Haynes also assaulted four deputies after his car was tracked down. He is due in court uh, today, I believe, to uh, face multiple charges, including burglary, kidnapping, and assaulting a first responder. What the story does not say is whether the lottery ticket was a winner or not. It would <laughs> that would be that would be a real bummer if the lottery ticket wasn't even a winner. You know, like much ado about nothing there. Um, you remember yesterday we had the uh, story about the uh, highway, where was it? I don't even remember where it was. They had chicken guts uh, that spilled all over the road. Well, here's another highway story. Uh, not anything like that. If you need to drive on Interstate 90 in eastern Washington and you're using Apple Maps to get where you're going, 
be careful because apparently the app is mistakenly sending people onto a dirt road and residents there are now making signs to help wayward drivers. Uh, This is the story. Apple Maps has apparently misinterpreted ongoing construction on I-90's Snoqualmie Pass as a road closure. The road is not closed, but for some reason Apple Maps thinks it is, so it is rerouting highway commuters onto an unpaved and unmanaged mountain road. According to Fire and Rescue Chief Jay Wiseman, the Forest Service's road is a dirt road that is not maintained and does not receive winter maintenance. So coming up in this season, he's concerned that this alternative routing issue is putting people at risk of getting stranded on an unmaintained forest dirt road in the winter months near Snoqualmie Pass. He says people actually can drive through the highway construction safely, and he doesn't understand why the information in the app hasn't been updated especially since construction started all the way back in September, and they've notified Apple many times about this, but still, uh, there's not been a correction. So until the issue is fixed, uh, there are big flashing signs. The Department of Transportation has actually posted those big flashing road signs uh, that say, don't follow GPS, stay on I-90. And to (laughs) make it even more obvious... Uh, to would-be commuters. Residents of the area have also made their own homemade warning signs, which uh, which read, uh, they posted along the dirt road, that say, your GPS is wrong, turn around here. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That could be a real mess. I was hoping they get that fixed soon. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, how about this? Because we're coming up on the uh, holiday season. Um, You know the film A Christmas Story, right? Um, The city of Cleveland uh, claims kind of ownership of the film because that's where the house was, uh, the house is, that was used in the movie. It's a big tourist attraction and all of that. But Cleveland isn't the only city that claims some ownership to the film. Inspired by local legend, a 50-foot-tall recreation of the iconic leg lamp uh, has become a permanent statue in Chickasha, Oklahoma. Built in enti- 50-foot leg lamp. Uh, built entirely out of fiberglass, the stru- uh, sculpture is located in a downtown park in Chickasaw. Uh, it measures 40 feet tall and stands atop a 10-foot crate uh, that reads fragile. <laughs> uh, so what is the connection to Chickasha, Oklahoma? Well, Noland James, who lived in that town his entire life, always felt that his lamp was the prototype for the one in the movie. Uh, Nolan James taught at Oklahoma University in the School of Visual Arts. And he used a women's, he was there for 30 years, and he used a women's mannequin for an unusual art display in his office. The bottom of his novelty was a lamp made out of the legs of the mannequin clad in black hose and pumps while the torso was a wastebasket. So not exactly a leg lamp, but it bears a striking resemblance to the leg lamp. 
uh, the whole thing dressed in a lacy black and white outfit. So it really looks very similar. And he claims that one of the guys that worked in the props department on the movie for the studio that made the movie uh, was actually either a student or a visitor of his at one time, saw the uh, sculpture and used that as the inspiration for the leg lamp in the film. So I don't know how accurate that story is, but Chickasha, Oklahoma, the giant 50-foot leg lamp. Uh, and the whole town is so proud. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to us a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You're already seeing all of those Black Friday ads starting to roll out, and you may be thinking, man, it's too early, but maybe not. According to a new survey of parents of kids under the age of 18, two out of three say that they were already staking out the best deals for their holiday shopping list for their kids all the way back in September. Uh, 42% of these parents said that their child is anticipating getting at least one hot ticket item for the holidays this year, uh, which may be why the average parent is checking on prices for certain items four times a week on average. In fact, 38% are doing so more than four times a week. (laughs) While 36% in the survey say that their budget this year is tighter than it was last year, 34% of parents in the survey actually have a bit more to spend. Uh, on average, according to the survey, parents are budgeting $220 for each child with the highest budget for kids between the ages of 7 to 12. 28% say they're trying to keep it below $100. Boy, that could be tough. The uh, survey conducted by one poll on behalf of the Toy Association found that when it comes to holiday shopping for their kids, parents say the toughest issues that they run into, 42% say product availability is always an issue, and 29% say their biggest problem shopping for the kids at the holidays is just not knowing what to get. So my uh, wife, Kyra, has joined us in the uh, studio uh, this morning. And a very good morning to you. Good morning. (laughs) See, this is how wonderful my wife actually is. Because I was kind of a bonehead yesterday, and I am still in the doghouse this morning. And yet, she is still here. because, Because she... Is, is not going to take it out on our loyal listeners. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. You're welcome. 
Um, <laughs> maybe eventually I'll get out of the doghouse here. Um, you're actually looking ahead to the uh, holiday season with these recipes. Uh, well, here, we're not going to uh, be today. here the next for Thanksgiving or for the next. Well, that's that's true. We're not going to be here that's before true. Thanksgiving. Uh, because we're I'm, done. I am uh, out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's we're really thinking about that. Um, yeah. Not going to be here next week. Uh, nope. For most of next week, I'll be here on Monday, and right. then uh, uh, out the rest of the week, and, and then, then the a short week. week for Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, but won't be here on Friday. So no show on yeah. Friday, obviously, yeah. because and Thursday be, is Thanksgiving. Thursday so. is Thanksgiving, so yep, we're doing the Thanksgiving thing a little bit early. Yes. yes. All right. Well, at least somebody's thinking ahead. <laughs> so uh we have a recipe for thanksgiving turkey stuffed shells now are you thinking this as like a leftover type of thing or i mean this could be either i mean there are some people that that like turkey but there are some people that would like to do something different with their turkey for thanksgiving especially if it's a smaller gathering so okay so either way so thanksgiving turkey stuffed shells how do we do this so 12 jumbo pasta shells one cup of turkey one cup of mashed potatoes one teaspoon of dried celery a half a teaspoon of onion powder one tablespoon of minced garlic three ounces of cheddar cheese shredded and divided, one and a half cups of gravy, and then uh, a cup of bread stuffing, which that is optional. You can, you, you, if you have it, great. If you don't, that's fine also. So you're not stuffing the shells with the stuffing. Correct. Okay. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, lightly grease a large baking dish, set aside, boil your pasta shells, uh, cooking for about eight to nine minutes. You don't want to overcook them because then you're going to be baking them also. Gotcha. So drain and set aside. Then meanwhile, uh, prepare your filling, your uh, combine your turkey, uh, your mashed potatoes, um, and then in a medium bowl um, with in a medium bowl with your dried celery, your onion powder, your minced garlic, and half of your shredded cheese. You're going to mix that all together. Okay. Then spread a little bit of your gravy on the bottom of your baking dish so your um, pasta shells don't stick. Uh-huh. Um, uh, spoon your filling into each pasta shell. Uh, place each pasta shell into your prepared pan on top of the gravy. Top with the remaining gravy and shredded cheese. And then if you want, you can uh, top your breading. If you have extra breading, your stuffing on okay. top of that. So that's so, where the stuffing comes in. Yeah. Okay. I got so you. if you want to put right. that on top, you're more than welcome. If you don't have it, you don't have to. Okay. So bake at 350 for 25 to 30 minutes and then serve warm. Very easy. Yes. And uh, yeah, that is something uh, Easy, unique. different. And uh, yeah. again, would be perfect for all of those leftovers too. Mm-hmm. So uh, to go along with that, you have a white cheddar cranberry dip. Yes. Mm. So this is two cups of sharp cheddar cheese shredded uh, and divided an eight ounce uh, block of cream cheese at room temperature, half a teaspoon of ground nutmeg, a quarter teaspoon of ground clove, a quarter or a, yeah, a quarter heaping cup of your cranberry whole cranberry sauce and half a cup of frozen cranberries. Um, or you can use fresh cranberries or you don't, ha- if you don't have either, you don't have to use it at all. Because there are whole cranberries in your cranberry sauce. So, depends on how much cranberry you want. Cranberry dip. Yep. Lightly spray a small baking dish with a little of your uh, cooking spray and preheat your oven to 350 degrees. 
in a mixing bowl, stir together your cream cheese, your cheddar cheese until well combined. Then add your cranberry sauce, your, your seasoning, and your cranberries. Uh, then spoon the mixture uh, evenly into your prepared baking dish. Uh, bake for 18 to 23 minutes until it's bubbly in the middle and on the edges. Uh, then sprinkle with your remaining cheese. Let that melt and then serve immediately with crackers or pita chips. Mm, okay. So you could uh, dip your turkey stuffed shells in your... Yeah, well, yeah, you I might guess. try that. Put a little that. bit on top if you like. I don't yeah. know. Just thinking. Just thinking out loud. And then uh, for dessert, a crescent roll pumpkin slab pie. Yes. So so um, slab pies are uh, bigger pies. Bigger so, pies. Yeah. So, and this one uh, using crescent rolls instead of for your pie crust instead of a pie crust. So use uh-huh. your crescent rolls. So mm, it's one, one can a crescent uh, dough sheet. Um, if they if you can't find the sheet, then just use your crescent rolls. You'll just have to make sure all pinch your... Pinch them all together yeah, to... Pinch everything all together. Make a crust, okay. Yep. Uh, one 30-ounce can of pumpkin pie filling, two-thirds cup of evaporated milk, two eggs, and a half a teaspoon of ground allspice. So preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Spray your 9 by 13 inch uh, pan with nonstick cooking spray. Um, open up your crescent, row she- crescent roll dough sheet and unroll. Press the sheet of dough in the bottom of the pan with a one inch lip up the sides of on again, each sides. Be, again, because it's the crust. Correct. Right. Um, move the pumpkin pie, f- or mix the pumpkin fi- pie filling with the evaporated milk, the eggs, and the allspice in a large bowl. Then pour that into the pan. Bake for about 10 minutes on the high, the 400 degrees. Okay. Then you're going to reduce your oven to 350 degrees and bake an additional 30 to 40 minutes or until a knife comes out clean. Uh, when inserted in the center. Okay. So the other thing you can do is you can kind of jiggle it. And if the middle is still kind of jiggly, then yeah. you want to wait a few more minutes what's, on that. What's interesting, and I noticed uh, on uh, this trio of recipes, you want to do all three. Yeah. You want to do the uh, pumpkin pie, the pumpkin slab pie first, first. because that right. takes the longest. Right. And you start out at 400 and then you reduce the right. heat. To yeah, 350, 350, where you do the others, yeah. Yeah. and then you can throw them in the oven yeah. at the and, same time. And, and you want your pumpkin pie to completely cool. Um, that's that one pie is, you need right. to, to completely cool, right. because it's a custard pie. Yeah. So really good stuff there. If you want to do something a little unique for uh, Thanksgiving, or, yep. you know, again, great for the uh, leftovers yep. there, the uh, turkey stuffed shells and such. Uh, we've got those uh, recipes up on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page, right? Yep. At Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. You'll find those recipes there. We're also, we also have them linked up at goodmornings.net, and we will share them on the uh, WFIN Facebook page as well. And a reminder that if you have a recipe you would like to share, or if there's a recipe that you're looking for, you can always message us, uh, message uh, Kyra on Facebook, uh, or send us an email, uh, goodmornings at WFIN.com. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, I guess. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that. We're not going to be here. Uh, for uh, Thanksgiving, the last recipes before Thanksgiving. It. So I'm glad yeah. you were on the ball there. Yeah. Uh, again, goodmornings.net to learn more. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome.
And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.